everyone, and welcome to Las Musas podcast. My name is Alda P. Dobbs, and I'm the author of Barefoot Dreams of Petra Luna. Today, I'm joined by Vanessa L. Torres. And today on this episode of Debut Diaries, the middle grade edition, I'm sorry, the YA edition. Yes. <laughs> yes, YA. I'm thinking of Barefoot Dreams, but no, the YA edition. We'll be talking about your book, your upcoming novel. So I'm really excited because I've read uh, The Turning Point and oh my goodness, it's fantastic. And I, I was Thank lucky you. to get a, a beautiful arc and uh, I, the, I love the cover. I, I didn't want to give it away. I knew I had to, you know, because it's such a beautiful book. <laughs> I wanted to keep it, but, you know, just I'm really excited to have you here today. So Thank Vanessa, you. can you start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your book? Yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Vanessa L. Torres and I am originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And although I do write young adult novels, I am also a firefighter paramedic. So I do have another job besides writing. And I wrote a young adult novel, my first novel, it debuts on 2-22-22. I absolutely love that date. <laughs> like I feel like I couldn't have chosen a better date. Oh and it is called The Turning Point. And it follows uh, a ballet dancer named Rosa Dominguez in 1980s Minneapolis. And after her family endures some pretty significant change and trauma for which she blames herself, she is navigating some complex family expectations, uh, also a new love who happens to look a lot better in his point shoes than she does. And her own aspirations to dance for the purple one himself, Prince. No, it's it's awesome. I love it. I'm a big 80s fan and I grew up in the 80s. So it was <laughs> I was very nostalgic reading this. And personally, what attracted me about your book was the dancing part, because I love to dance, you know, I just anything, you know, and especially ballet, I, I wanted to, but, you know, I, I never attended any classes, but I always admired the body, you know, the shape and how mm -hmm. just the movements and all that. And I saw that in your book and I, I kind of felt like I was there. I was practicing. I was sweating. I was stretching. I, I think I even woke up with muscle aches after reading. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was wonderful. So what inspired you um, to do this novel? Did you, were you a dancer or uh, did you have to delve into that research or how did it come to you? So uh, the natural, I mean, just the descriptions. I, I love that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I was a dancer. I am a former dancer. I used to dance for the Minnesota Dance Theater, and I was in the children's performance division. And that that's really the part of the company where you have to audition for it. And there are various levels. And those are the kids that you see in the Nutcracker and um, other performances that, you know, big ballet companies do. And I was one of the very few kids, I think one of four kids at the time who were um, I, I was an inner city kid um, who was dancing on financial assistance oh. So, um, uh, because my parents couldn't afford all the ballet lessons. I mean, I think I danced at least four or five times a week. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah. So I've taken a lot of dance classes and I still take a dance class every now and then I feel kind of like a clod because it's been so long. And <laughs> one of my younger sisters is, has just retired out of a professional ballet um, dancer career so yeah, I am from technically a family of dancers. Oh and so, yeah, so the book was really, it was easier to write those dance scenes because I could really put myself back in that space. And sometimes I would have like on YouTube, 
the Royal Ballet, the, the Royal Ballet Dance um, Company or theater and, you know, other professional ballet companies will stream live their company classes uh-huh. and you can watch them or, or dance along with them. And I would just have that up behind my document, like the class while I was writing a dance scene. Goodness. Yeah. And just the sounds of, you know, the teacher, the instructor or the master, oh, you know, kind of. genius. So you could have that, you could be living it as you're typing it. You, and I'm sure that brought a lot of memories, you know, just of yourself mm-hmm. being that, that situation. That's amazing. I never thought about that. It's genius. You put a video like that in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily watching it every once in a while I would, but um, yeah. It's just the sounds. I'm sure the sounds trigger a lot of emotion from those, from that era. I think we're so connected to sounds more than anything else and in our writing and just by uh, hearing something or even smelling something, I think those senses just, you know, uh, break, bring those uh, poor floodgate of, uh, of memories from that era, from that time. So true. So true. And I'm a total smeller. I smell everything. So smell is a, big part of my book. I mentioned it a lot. So that's true. No, definitely. No, I like that. And how did you, I'm curious, I mean, you're, you're a dancer and how did you end up as a paramedic firefighter? Oh my goodness. I mean, I see the peers of strength and the discipline, but it's just, it seems opposite to me, you know, just, uh, yeah, you would think, but it, it really is. They're both very physical jobs that require a lot of discipline, self-discipline. And, uh, so there is that you know, similarity, but really I just sort of fell into it. I've always liked science. And when I was kind of flailing in college, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. A friend of mine asked me to take an EMT class with her and it was an emergency medical technician class. And it was only three months long. It was the basic level. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. It was at a community center. And she quit after two weeks (laughs) and I stayed in the class. And it was one of the very first things I ever did besides dance that I felt like I was really inherently good at. Mm. And at the end of the class, one of the instructors asked me to apply for a position at a volunteer rescue squad. Uh And so that just, and I did, and it just snowballed into getting my paramedic more advanced certification. And then I um, applied for a fire department and passed all those tests and yeah. So just, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's another book in itself there. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's great. And you, you said, um, okay, well tell us first of all, cause it's in the book set in Minneapolis. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm curious as to, cause I felt like I was there and I uh, just mm-hmm. reading the book and it's in the eighties. So it made me feel very nostalgic. So what made you choose that uh, Minneapolis and also the eighties rather than keep it contemporary? Yeah. Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, so that's like, you know, it's my hometown. And I also came of age right around the whole area where the dance, where Minnesota dance theater is, where my book takes place. It used to be called block E and it was a very notorious neighborhood in Minneapolis responsible for a huge chunk of their crime, Mm -hmm. but it was just very colorful. And I'm sure I was like getting into things that I probably shouldn't have been getting into. (laughs) But, you know, I was that kid that rode the city bus everywhere. And I mean, I knew all the bus schedules by heart. My mom didn't drive. My dad worked nights. So I was really on my own at a very early age. And I really, that freedom really taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, the eighties, I couldn't write a book with Prince in it without it. In the eighties, it really, I I mean, it centers around 
the time when he was rehearsing for Purple Rain, the movie Purple Rain. And he was actually doing that in our studio for real, right above where we were dancing. And I would sneak up there and watch him rehearse and learn how to perfect his pirouettes and stuff. And I really, I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sure I drove him crazy because I would get kicked out sometimes or sometimes they would let me stay. And then I would stock the elevators and <laughs> ride down the elevators with him. I was a really obnoxious kid. So oh, no. I would too. Oh my goodness. You know, to have Prince there. Oh Lord. I don't, I don't think I can yeah. focus on my dancing again. Oh, I know it was, I mean, you know, even though I was, I was like 12 at the time, man, I I've just loved Prince my whole life. And you can't live in Minneapolis or Minnesota really for that matter, without knowing who he is. I mean, that's true. No, no. The, the impact that he had on you now, because um, a lot of your novel, I just, got that sense of Prince of how uh, the, the fan in you, I, I, that came across through the pages and, uh, and also uh, the, the emotion to how you related to, you know, his music, his art and yourself as an artist as well. So I'm sure it was an impact when you heard of his passing. Do you remember that moment or do you remember what you were doing or? Yeah, I do. I was actually at the fire department and um, you know, I was on shift and my brother-in-law who lives in the Netherlands, he is um, one of the biggest collectors of Prince memorabilia mm. in the world, probably. Oh yeah. So he has, you know, a lot of inside info and he called me and all he said was, is it true? And I didn't know what he was talking about because mm. it hadn't broken here yet. Mm. And um, I said, what, what do you mean? What, what is, is what true? And he said, well, there, we're hearing over here that that Prince has died in Paisley Park. And I just didn't believe him. I just had to sit down. And then about a half an hour later, TMZ broke with the, mm-hmm. with the news. And, and then I knew it was, you know, then I started getting all these phone, everybody started calling me because they know how big of a fan I am and my whole family, they're all fans as well. So, and luckily my department, I mean, the guys who I work with, they're all like brothers and they were very, very supportive of me, pretty oh. much crying all day long and barely making oh. it through the shift. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I always, I relate to that because I was a big Selena Quintanilla fan. I was a Selena and, fan too. Yeah. And you remember that. I mean, I, yeah, it's clear as day, you know, I, I know what I was doing. I, the moment they told me and yeah, I can only imagine that, especially, I mean, I knew Selena growing up as a teen, but you were 12, you know, you're at that, you know, mm-hmm. a, a tween. So I'm sure the impact's a lot more, a lot deeper. A little age. Yeah. I was in, I was living in Texas when Selena died. And oh my I remember, yeah, I was living in Dallas. And I remember all the um, like shrines on the cars driving around for her. It was a, quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. When you um, just relate to a a singer and artist like that, just like you did with, with Prince. And it's good that you, you're able to write this and kind of pour your heart out in terms of how you felt, how you viewed the world, how you viewed him and his art. So I like that. I like this reading about this in the book. Thank and you. now the, the research for this, you talked about the, the dancing that you are a dancer, but, mm-hmm. and you put the videos in there. Is there any extra that you, had to do in in terms of vocabulary of, of dancing terms or was it all natural to you just to give people who are writing about certain themes or certain subjects what kind of research would you suggest they do yeah I really even though I lived through the era you know it's been a while yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um yeah the lingo I still remembered a lot uh, a lot of but 
Um, as far as like the place, um, I really wanted to create that whole block E neighborhood. I wanted it to be a character also in the book. And I feel like that did come across. And so that required a lot of, even though I, I really came of age around that area, I needed to do some research because I wanted to pay tribute to how the buildings really looked and the businesses, those, all the businesses in my book were real, Mm. were actually real places at one time in Minneapolis. So I wanted to make sure that I, um, and so there are all these really cool, you know, everybody's always posting something online. And so it wasn't too hard to find nostalgia from old school Minneapolis. And then as far as dance, I really leaned on my sister Valerie a lot Mm -hmm. because, you know, she still does dance. And so I, I'd sometimes I'd call her up and say, okay, what is that position called when you, yeah, I'd have to ask her. And, um, and then I also had beta readers, uh-huh. which are really, really important. Um, beta readers who are dancers, ballet dancers, read it and make sure that I was, wasn't messing anything up in that oh, way. Wow. So, that's, that's nice yeah. to, to give that. Cause I'm, I have a book in mind. It's a middle grade book, but uh, you inspired me to kind of hit the eighties too. So I'm like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Like you said, it's a long time ago. So let's see if yeah. I can go back to that era of Atari's and all that stuff, Rubik's cubes and, and try to come yeah. up with something. That's good. I good recently time. received a review um, and it was an awesome review, but the person is like, you know, didn't, wasn't even born anywhere near the eighties. And um, she was really funny in her review. She, she said, I, I, I didn't know what some of the things were that the author was talking about, but I didn't care because I love the book so much, which Aww. was cool, you know, because in my mind, of course, I know what all the stuff is, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so neat. Those are the best reviews when somebody, you know, yes. that's not from that era, that world, you know, reads it and enjoys it. That's, that's phenomenal. I think that I love that feeling. It really solidifies that the eighties is historical fiction. <laughs> It is. Yeah, that's what I thought when I think it's Back. 40 years. It's considered historical if it's 40 years. So ah. it is. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so historical fiction now. Oh, no. What happened? <laughs> good. It's good. But uh, that's awesome. And, and now there are some scenes that I read in there that uh, there, I don't want to give any spoilers, but mm-hmm. uh, at one point I cried in the, the novel mm-hmm. and it was towards the end and it was just a scene that there are paramedics there. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a paramedic firefighter, so I see the detailed description, but but just the emotion that you put mm-hmm. into it. How did you, because anybody could have written, you know, kind of a, pamph- a pamphlet or instructional book of how paramedics mm-hmm. have to attend to a to an injured person. But mm-hmm. the way you did it, you know, you invoked the emotion and I cried in that scene. So how did you do it? <laughs> how were you so good at it? Yeah, that was a really hard scene to write. I know what scene you're talking about. Because <laughs> um, you do have to tap in. I had to tap into a lot of, you know, what comes to mind. It's just basically thousands of calls all stuck in my head. And you, like for me as a medic, the things that bother me after calls aren't the physical things. Mm-hmm. they're the emotional things they are usually the family members that are left uh, okay. dealing with, you know, everything when we pull away from the house. And as I, as I gained more experience as a medic, it was much easier to kind of shift focus from the patient to the family members and make sure that their needs were met as well. And so you start to pay attention more to those things. 
when you're a new medic, you're so focused on the patient and what needs to be done for the patient. Like there could be a thousand people around you and you wouldn't even know it because you're so new and you don't want to mess up. But after you've done it as long as I have, because I've been a paramedic for 26 years now, oh my goodness, uh-huh. I know it's a long time. <laughs> That's good. It's a lot easier to step away and multitask and, and make sure that, um, you know, recognize that there are other people in the room that are watching all of this stuff happen to their loved ones and they need explanations. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm usually the one that's stepping away and explaining what we're doing. And, and so I think that that probably helped a lot in writing those scenes because I could really put myself in in their shoes. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's what I like that when writers come with all this experience that not necessarily, like you said, uh, hands-on, but mm-hmm. the, the emotional that you see people's eyes, you see the pain, you see the, the suffering and, and you start focusing on that as well, rather than just the task at hand. And you, you start developing that connection with everybody and, and thinking, okay, how do I take care of that person as well? You know, right. Because it's it's all related, you know. They're they're connected. The person you're driving off or in the ambulance, and the person that stays there. I had never thought about it that way, but yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and it it, it helps uh, keep, I guess, the voice. You know, boy, we always hear that as writers, the voice is the most important part of the story. If you don't have voice, it's kind of like just reading cardboard. Really, you know, you want to be able to feel for the characters and. I remember being at a session at a conference once and there was the speaker was saying, write the book that only you could write. Like you have unique experiences. And once you hone in on something that, you know, your perspective is so unique, no one else could have written this book. That is, that is your voice. And I, that really stuck with me. And I think about that all the time when I'm writing. Yeah, that's so true, because uh, you're so unique in your background. I mean, you have the dancing and the paramedic, and mm-hmm. now you're using both, and you created this beautiful artwork here that you know nobody else could have done it. So um, I'm grateful. <laughs> you came. What I set out to do, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So yeah, we have to you know, tell these stories, and people have to get out there, because everybody's got a unique story, and that the mm-hmm. world needs to hear, so that's, that's fantastic. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that are not the ones I had scheduled, so hopefully okay. there are no surprises here, but Yay. it's more of, a, of an advice, because you're a debut author, and I remember having my first book published, and, you know, you're, it's this threshold that you pass, you know, that you go over, and now, you know, you're published, mm-hmm. so right now you're in that area where you're about to take that then plunge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's fascinating and it's overwhelming. And it's everything, all emotions there, but it, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. moment you'll never experience again. So enjoy it, embrace it. But to get there, what were your your major roadblocks? You know, what would you advise uh, new authors out there to look out for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was told heading into this journey, that it's okay to say no to certain things mm-hmm. and not overschedule yourself, which I've totally done. I mean, <laughs> I've totally overscheduled myself because it's really hard to say, no, you feel like if I don't do this one thing, you know, I, I might miss out on a reader who would really connect with the book. And that's really, you know, for me, I just want people to see themselves Mm-hmm. you know, even just a little in the characters of my book. And like the thought of somebody missing out is really, I don't know. 
it feels tragic, (laughs) but anyway, I, I would say that, and also just find your people that you can lean on. I have critique two critique partners that are absolutely wonderful. And one is a year ahead of me. Oh, nice. Her debut came out right when the actually a little more than a year ahead of me came out in April when the pandemic hit poor thing, Dante Miedema. Yeah. Author of the truth project. She's an amazing author and she's been just like my rock through this journey because she's already been through, you know, all of this. So whenever I have questions, I ask her. And I, so I think it's important to have, you know, and I mean, Las Musas has been wonderful too. this collective of writers. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the mentorship. I had mentors too. And, Mm -hmm. and not only in writing, but uh, my past life when I was an engineer and studied physics too, I had mentors that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. It just, every step of the way you have that guidance and that's so valuable. So if you could find one out there, you know, there's programs out there, but there you could also network at conferences and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. That's how I found a lot of my mentors. So that's a a great point. Yeah. You never know when you're going to connect with someone. I mean, it's, yeah, I found, well, that's how Dante and I met. At, oh. at the PNW, the Pacific Northwest Writers Association Conference. Oh my goodness. We're both pitching, you know, those horrible flash rounds of pitching that you do. Oh. <laughs> so torturous. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> no, that's nice. Yeah, that's that's so true. You know, at conferences you do meet a lot of people and, and that's how I I ended up with mentors and, and just wonderful people that support you and, and believe in you. And also that trusted writer for me, uh, my husband's the first person who reads my my work and they always said don't get a family member because they, uh-huh. they they'll be biased but my husband's <laughs> he will not be biased at all he's an officer in the army so he doesn't sugarcoat uh-huh. anything he'll tell you as it is you know he doesn't like it or see something that's off he'll say hey this is not working go fix it you know so as long as you're cool with that my husband hasn't read a single word of my book <laughs> not yet he wants to wait until he can hold the book in his hand and that's totally oh. fine and yeah <laughs> yeah no and not I mean, it took some work because at first, you know, it depends on what mood we've been the day before. <laughs> Otherwise, mm-hmm. it might not work the critique, you know, but uh, a lot of times we have to separate that, that this is just a critique and I'm not going to take it personal, you know, yeah. and, and it took work. It took a while for us to kind of get to that. But I, I really like that because he does read a lot and he could pinpoint when things are off or he doesn't see it working. And um, so that, that helps to find that trusted reader. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I found that my husband's because we moved so many times, you know, every two years we were moving and it was hard to reestablish myself at a critique mm-hmm. group or whatnot. Cause a lot of them are established. Sure. And, oh yeah. Uh, they don't, you know, they have limited number of people you could go in or if they did accept me by the time I started warming up and I had to move again. So, uh, uh, so, but they're out there and I heard there's a lot of online uh, critique groups as well. So yeah, for that for trusted readers that way. Totally. Our, um, I belong to the Olympia Writers Group, and I'm actually the co-coordinator. And we have over a hundred plus members now at this point. And we started out a tiny group in Barnes and Noble in the cookbook section. Like they would actually put out chairs for us in the cookbook section, and we would all bring our pages and read. And then we got just too big. And then when the pandemic hit, we went virtual. Mm-hmm. So now having that big of a group, and you know, really only like maybe ten or so people show up every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people just kind of come and go. Um, but there are kind of a few core group people that still, that are still there all the time, pretty consistently. Oh, yeah. that's nice. That's great. 
Yeah. All right. And, uh, and my next question for you is for this book, for the turning point, uh, what was your favorite scene to write? Oh, probably the scene with Nikki in Teeners. Costume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nikki is Rosa's new love and he is a tap dancer oh. and he is just an amazing, I love his character so much. He's so complex and so good for her in so many ways. And she's great for him too. And yeah, I just, I love that whole scene where she's discovering him. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I like that too. I brought a lot of memories. <laughs> I felt very nostalgic too. Just having your, your heart race and all that when you've seen that person and knowing that there's something there. So, Oh yeah. And I played a lot of Van Halen during that scene because he's <laughs> tap dancing to Van Halen and you know, any excuse to listen to Van Halen. Cause I am the kind of writer who I listen to music when I, when I write like music with words, the louder, the better. I'm also that writer that I wrote this entire draft at a really busy coffee shop. Oh, wow. So, you know, I like the, like the chaos around me. Silence really bothers me. That's when my like head starts to wander to other places. So yeah, yeah I don't mind the noise at all. <laughs> That's great. Cause I, I'm the same way too. I have to have noise and uh, probably cause I grew up in a really, really tiny house. And I, I was the oldest of four girls and we had oh, yeah, that would 20 be dogs. And <laughs> so it was chaos all the time. And if it's too quiet now, I can't focus. I just, I need, so I'm always at a coffee shop. And bad thing is that uh, a lot of times I'm trying to work on dialogue at a coffee shop. So I'll start acting out to see, <laughs> you, know, uh -huh. you gotta be careful. You know, people look at you like, oh my goodness, you know, but, uh, and so yeah, no, I'm just creating characters. I'm just, you know, working on the dialogue here, but uh, well, yeah. And another tip for writers, you know, is uh, I, I'll have my like, you know, AirPods in, but if somebody's sitting next to me and I feel like they're, they're talking about something interesting, I'll just turn off my music and listen to them. And sometimes I'll take notes because it, it actually helps you, um, I don't know, create really natural sounding dialogue. It does. Yeah. Amazing and everything. Yeah. How people really speak to each other. So, yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's amazing when you're, when you're there, especially when you're over here in a conversation between two people of the same age, mm -hmm. you know, just cause they all talk to you different. You know, if I talk to a teenager or a tween, they'll talk to me different than they do to their, their you'll friends. have a thousand likes in there. <laughs> yeah, or if they know that I'm listening, they'll speak differently too. Uh -huh. so subconsciously, you know, a lot of times they're not even aware, but if they know I'm working and not paying attention, they, they just, you know, <laughs> start rallying up. And I love that too. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, you know, listening to teens talk anyway. I just did two zooms yesterday with my high school in Minneapolis oh, with nice. two English classes in my high school. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure they just thought I was this old lady because I was like, I graduated in 1988. And they're like, when? <laughs> they were great. They were so awesome. I just, they had so many cool questions and they were so hyped about the book, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best when you could go back to your roots and, and people are reading your, your material, your work. Oh my goodness. That's, that's heavenly. That's yeah. great. And uh, so what's next for you? What, what do you see? coming up? What are you working on? Can you give us a, yeah. Um, well, you were just talking about, I think in the beginning of this mentioned, you know, that I could write a book about being a firefighter paramedic. And mm -hmm. I, I kind of am, I can't say too much about uh -huh. it, but it is a young adult and it is inspired by my time as a firefighter paramedic. Uh -huh. And, um, I did implement a youth first responder program at my own department. Mm -hmm. So I work with teens a lot. And those kids were 
I call my kids were <laughs> a, a huge inspiration for me just wanting to write young adult in general. And a lot of those kids have gone on to become nurses and wow. um, firefighter paramedics themselves or x-ray techs or just in the healthcare field, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I am going to use my experience to write a, a book about kids in that field. So oh yeah. goodness, I can't wait. <laughs> That's awesome. That's another thing too. I fantasize about, you know, being a, a firefighter or paramedic, just being able to help people and, uh, and being able to be there and the action, you know, it's always something new every day. I've heard that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's never That's what I love about it. Yeah. No minute is the same. You walk, you go into work and you have no idea what your day is going to be like, like no idea. <laughs> so That's incredible. From minute to minute, which is totally my jam. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. And to put that into words, I can't wait to read that book. So, oh, and I'm so excited. Yes. Yay. <laughs> you know, oh my goodness. I was going to ask, do you have a title or something? I just get curious about the title. So, and that that's another question. Actually, you know what? I am interested by the turning point. How did you come up with that title? I came up with it with about a group of 50 others um, in about 15 minutes because oh the original title was the Purple Funk Factory. <laughs> It was. That's awesome. And I love that title still. Um, we went out on sub with it and we just weren't getting any, it was like a week had gone by and we hadn't got gotten any hits. And so my agent who I just, I love her intuition so much. And she's like, Hey, I think it's the title. We got to change the title. Give me some new titles. And so I sat down at, at the dining room table and just made a list of a bunch of titles and I emailed them to her and she said that one, it's that one. And we changed it. And like within a couple of days, we started getting people interested. Oh my Isn't goodness. that wild? <laughs> yeah, that the title would do that. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, she thought that the purple funk factory didn't really say what was inside the book. Like it didn't give a hint of, you know, what the book was really mm-hmm. going to be about. And it's totally true. And so, yeah. So that's where the title came from. That's incredible. Out of my brain in 15 minutes. And, <laughs> that's and, awesome. and it is true. I mean, the, for the, my book, Barefoot Dreams of Petra Luna, I already had that title for the longest time. And luckily I was afraid because a lot of people said that's too long. They may not like it. Mm-hmm. And I submitted my manuscript. It, it got uh, bought and uh, we started working on it. Nobody mentioned anything about the title and, you know, it just got put on the book. So I was really lucky. I'm like, Oh my goodness. They, they took it. Yeah. The second book, they, I didn't think about it. And sure enough, they called me and they said, have you thought of a title? And I said, no. So yeah, just like you, I had a few minutes to think about it and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we need a title now. And uh, so warning, you know, start thinking of those titles long time before. <laughs> I know. I, I always say it's a working title because even, you know, after um, the turning point was sold, I, I expected it to probably change, but then it, it just never did. And um, my working title for my current project is forgiving the fire. Oh, okay. But you know, who knows if that will. Oh, uh, I like that. Oh my goodness. Who knows if that Cause I, I am thinking about, okay, what's in the story. I, it's kind of inviting me already to, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a human mind and you hear a title or a phrase and your brain starts trying to analyze it and trying to anticipate, you know, see what's going to happen, mm-hmm. what it's about. So yeah, that's, I like that title. It's catchy. Thanks. I mean, it's just something to put on the first page for right now. Now, yeah, I just uh, I can't leave it blank. I'm that kind of person. I can't just leave it blank. And 
And it may change, yeah, because I mean, I, I had baby, I'm sorry, I had barefoot dreams of Petrolina for a long time, but originally, like you said, I needed something there and I had a uh, baby diamonds, <laughs> which oh. <laughs> got that black rock, which is her baby diamond, but I didn't know what, what to call it. So I just put that as, okay, baby diamonds, it'll come to me. But yeah, as I did the research, mm-hmm. wrote the story, it started turning, you know, I said, no, this, like you said, it's more inviting to the story yeah. you know so the the times are changing a little more and mm-hmm. in your uh, your book cover it's gorgeous I love her hair uh, yes her style yeah. her look it's was there do you know about the art that you have a say so on that art or yeah um Jonathan Bartlett did the did the art and Regina Flath did, did the design and um they are I mean, they just did an amazing job and, you know, I received a lot of, um, I guess, preliminary kind of sketches and Mm -hmm. just, you know, workups for the cover. And I had a lot of say in it. I mean, we went back and forth a few times and, and so I felt that it was really a collaboration. I knew that I wanted movement on the page. There just Mm -hmm. had to be a dancer on the page and, and I wanted it to look urban mm-hmm. and he did a full wrap. And so the back is actually, I love the back cover just as much as I love the front. It is, uh, you know, kind of an alley scene with the fire escape, dark and purple. And then there's a silhouette of Nikki, uh, Rosa's love interest in a tutu and point shoes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't see that toy person. I had yeah. the art, but oh, I can't wait. Yeah. So that's actually Nikki on the back. And which I just absolutely couldn't love more. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I cannot wait. So yeah. again, and that's an awesome date, uh, release date. You said February 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. New 22, 22. Oh my yeah. goodness. That's incredible. Did you choose that date or just? No, <laughs> I got lucky. <laughs> Good. So I got to mean something. Was, yeah. I always thought it was so cool. I'm like, if you could have a kit on that day, but a book. I mean, if you could publish a book, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's uh-huh. fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, anything you. else you want to uh, tell people maybe how to, where to find you or how to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. Um, 360 capital V L Torres. And I'm also on Instagram, Vanessa L Torres writes, and I have a website vltorres.com. And I will be having a virtual launch uh, through the Word Bookshop in Brooklyn. And that will be on the 25th of January at 4.30, I think it is 4.30 p.m. But I'll be posting that on my socials. And actually, I will be in conversation with Dante Miedema, the author of The Truth Project, mm-hmm. and Aidan Thomas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm going to have to look for that and, and sign up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Vanessa. So it's Vanessa L. Torres and her beautiful book, The Turning Point, will be out February 22nd of this year. So very, very exciting and highly recommended, especially if you like dancing, you like rock. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And paramedic, yeah. firefighter uh, stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's incredible, too. You get a and also the, the just the humanity in it. I learned things from there that I had never thought of, you know, I'd heard of, but this one really connected me to to a different place and uh, let me empathize with different kinds of people that, oh my goodness, I, I love that book. So thank you so much for, for writing it. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to learn more about Las Musas or our books, please visit our website at lasmusasbooks.com or find us on social media at Las Musas Books and be sure to check out our bookshop page. 
where each purchase of one of our books goes towards supporting independent bookstores. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also sign up for Las Musas newsletter to have podcast updates, as well as other Musa news, such as release dates, teasers, spotlights, and more delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you for listening.